Welcome to episode four of the Be Emmaus podcast, where we'll be discussing the Old Testament portion of our reading plan. My name is Anton Brooks, and I'm here with David Schrock, the pastor of preaching and theology here at Aquaquam Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Hello, David. Good morning on this rainy day. Morning, brother. <laughs> Trying to dry off and get in here and uh, have some fun talking about uh, Genesis Matthew. Yes, sir. That being said, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. We're going to take a look first. Um, at Genesis 16 and a little bit of um, just a, a short look back at Genesis 15. Uh, in Genesis 15, 1 and 6, God made a covenant with Abram, which was Abram would have a son with his wife Sarai, and that his offspring would be as many stars, as, as many as the stars he could count in the sky. In Genesis 16, Sarai and Abram become impatient with God's timing of fulfilling the covenant. They decided they would help God by having Abram have a child with Sarai's servant Hagar. Why was Abram and Sarai's decision to not wait on God a bad idea? I think that it's always a bad decision to, uh, to not wait on God. One of the ways that we see uh, faith evidenced in the Bible and our own lives is, um, is learning to wait on the Lord. Yeah. Right? In Isaiah, it talks about the fact that God works for those who wait for Him. Right? Uh, so this is the difference between a religion uh, that says you need to do something to please God, mm. uh, and the relationship, you mentioned the word covenant, uh, the covenant relationship that God desires to have with us, right? Uh, Abram was worshiping idols uh, when God comes to him. It's not as though he's choosing his way towards God or doing good works, right. but rather God chooses him out of the nations to bless him. And really there's a process from Genesis 12 to 22 of how God is working in his life. And Genesis 15, after promising that there's going to be blessing, uh, and Abram wonders uh, where this is going to come because he only has a servant, so his inheritance would go to his servant at that time. Um, not, uh, not Hagar, but another servant that's laid out in Genesis 15. And God promised, no, you're going to have a son. And uh, in fact, the number of offspring will be so great yeah. that they're going to outnumber the stars in the sky. Uh, and Abraham believes it's credited to him as righteousness and a covenant is cut there in Genesis 15. Um, but that's not the end of the story, um, because what we see next in Genesis 16, as you mentioned, is the fact that Sarai uh, comes up with an idea uh, to help God out and to have a child through her uh, servant Hagar, and this causes all kinds of problems. Uh, so uh, even though we see in Genesis 15 that it is by faith that uh, Abram and Sarah uh, are the ones who are trusting in God, and we also see that it is a faith that is still in need of sanctification right. and in need of, of, of growth. Uh, through the rest of the story. So many times today, um, I can, well, I'll just speak for myself. I can say that I'm definitely guilty of not waiting on the Lord sometimes, of even trying to, not necessarily doing things that are sinful, but not doing things that are in God's timing. I think no. that's where uh, my problem has been. Like, uh, I, I'll know that God wants me to do something, and um, I believe He may be telling me to. To do it a certain way or mm -hmm. or maybe he hasn't even revealed the way to me yet and yeah. so i get an idea yep. and i try and force it my way and it, it never works how often do we come to a place where we come up with an idea and then we seek god's blessing on it right, it's almost yeah. like we just want his stamp of approval on what we have done and we actually pray as if god is going to come and uh, furnish or fuel what we have decided right yeah and yet one of the things is we're reading through the bible this pattern that takes place is that God's people are those who follow behind God's word. God speaks, we believe, and then we act based upon his word. 
uh, and it's not the reverse. Right. And when we get in front of God in yeah. that way, Sarai and uh, Abram do here, uh, then it's going to cause problems. And of course, there is conflict that takes place between uh, uh, Sarai and Hagar and between Ishmael and Isaac mm. um, that happens here in Genesis. And it seems as though it's going to continue beyond that. Yeah. After Sarai's servant Hagar became pregnant, Sarai became jealous, and it seems in Genesis 16:6 that Abram was not very sympathetic for Hagar. Um, that verse reads, But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her, she being Hagar. Why was Abram so quick to allow Sarai to deal harshly with Hagar if he really thought the child she was carrying would fulfill God's promise? Yeah, so this is where our English versions can really trip us up, right? Because right? it can sound as though, okay, you just do whatever you want to here, mm -hmm. right? You know, you take care of the problem, I'm going to step away. Um, and yet, uh, the language here, do to her as you please, the word under the word please is the word good, it's the word tov, Okay. right? And so, I think he's saying to her, do good to her, oh, right? Not, not just, okay, do whatever you want to do here, and then she chooses to do harshly. He's certainly not instructing her to go and to be harsh there. Maybe he's somewhat passive in this. Maybe he should take greater ownership of this and to, and to lead here. Whatever the case he does, he hands it to his wife and instructs her to do good. And because of just the bitterness of the things that have taken place here, she deals harshly uh, with Hagar. Right. Um, so again, this is one of those instances where when we take one step into sin, it has ramifications all over the place. And then, just as if you pour out water, there's no way to get it back into the container. I mean, that's kind of what we're seeing here, right? Except it's kind of poisonous water. It's right. not just, you know, life-giving water. Um, and so, I think that's one of the things we're seeing in his words to his wife there. That's a very good point. I really like the analogy of, of the water. Because <laughs> it's so true. It definitely applies here. In verse 7, Hagar had fled. And the angel of the Lord found her and told her to go back to back and submit to Sarai. When we read angel of the Lord in the Bible, is this a reference to Jesus? Could be. Um, I think one of the things, so if we remember that Moses is writing this, um, and so there's going to be later evidence of the angel who is leading the people of God. So um, in Exodus uh, chapter 23, I believe, uh, at the very end of that chapter, uh, Exodus 23 and verse 20, it says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. So, if we allow to, uh, Exodus to inform Genesis, in other words, if we read them together and realize that Moses is the author of both, and we see angel of the Lord in Genesis, it's likely that Moses is writing with an understanding of what he has seen in his own experience of redemption, God's people being led by the angel of the Lord. So here, there's a close association uh, between God and this angel who's leading the people of Israel. Right, because it says in Exodus 23, verse 20, uh, that this angel will guard you. He will bring you to the place that I prepared for you. Be careful to uh, obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, um, for my name is in him. Right. Right. So there seems to be this identification that is there. 
Yet, I skipped over one thing in verse 21, for it also says, for he will not pardon your transgression. Mm. Which is really interesting because, I mean, God is going to say that he will pardon the people's transgression. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, we know that the way that God will do that is not through an angel, um, but rather through the Son of God who takes on human form with flesh and blood who dies on the cross for us. Right in that way, I could understand how this angel of the Lord would be something like a pre-incarnate Christ, right. uh, the one who has come to lead his people, uh, but has not taken on human form yet, therefore is not able to go to the cross and, and to forgive their sins in this angelic way, um, right? like he will later. Right? And just from the New Testament, we have testimony uh, that the rock that is with the people of Israel that Moses is instructed to strike and water comes out, that rock is Christ, right. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, which also is another example of where when Moses strikes the rock a second time, yeah. he's not instructed to do that. He does what he wants to do. He identifies himself with God um, too closely, doesn't listen to his word, and so like uh, Abram and Sarai doesn't do what God has commanded and therefore invites God's judgment. Right. The other thing to see is that in the book of Jude, um, it talks about the fact that Jesus, Joshua, uh, is leading the people of Israel. So in Jude uh, chapter, uh, not five, uh, in Jude five, it says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. There are other manuscripts that will say the Lord there. Mm -hmm. But either way, that could be uh, a reference to the angel of the Lord as well and the pre-incarnate Christ who's leading the people out of Egypt. So, trace that back into Genesis and we see that the angel of the Lord is coming to speak and it could be that it's just an angel sent from the Lord or it could be the pre-incarnate Christ that is there. I'm inclined to see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament as references to a pre-incarnate Christ. Um, which, at the same time, is a reminder to us that when God comes, um, when the Son of God comes as a pre-incarnate Christ, that all of God is there, yeah. right? Because, uh, again, the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they're always working together in all that they do. And when Christ in his human nature comes, uh, he is mediating uh, the Father and the Spirit and the Son. There's a lot more we could talk about there. Um, but long story short, to answer your question of Genesis 16, I think it's very likely that the angel of the Lord uh, is a pre-incarnate Christ. In uh, chapter 16, verse 10, uh, the angel of the Lord is still speaking, and he says, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. In this verse, he's speaking to, um, he's still speaking to Hagar. So is this covenant, it sounds like a covenant is being made here. So is this covenant the same covenant that was made with Abram? Such a good question. Yeah, I do think that a covenant is being, right? Um, not only uh, do we just see the context of the covenant, Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, right? Not only do we see that God is a covenant-making God, the way that he relates to his people is in covenant, right? So uh, even today, those who are born in, uh, are human, are in Adam. There's a covenantal relationship with every single person that he has made. And then those who are born again then become in Christ and they are brought apart into the new covenant. However, I don't think the covenant that is being described here with Hagar uh, is the covenant with Abram, right? And we know that from later scripture, right? So Galatians chapter 4 uh, is actually going to talk about two covenants, right? And some 
will want to say that, well, this is the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, right? So covenant theology will often talk in that way that when God made Adam, he gave him a covenant of works, and if they kept that covenant of works, they would be blessed. They failed in that covenant of works. Therefore, God is going to make a covenant of grace. Uh, certainly, the Bible is filled with grace, but I think it's too generic to talk about just a general covenant of grace. Rather, we see a covenant made with Noah, and then with Abraham, and then with Israel, and then with David, right? And so, in Genesis, we see God making this covenant with Abraham, and here's what we find in, Gen- or in Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 21. It says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So, challenging those who are appealing to Moses, and you need to add circumcision uh, to Christ. He says, Go back and read the whole law. And he says, verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. Right? So that's exactly what we're reading in Genesis 15, 16, 17. Uh, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Right? And even the, the, the will uh, of man and woman working this out. While the son of the free woman is born through the promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. So, Again, should we read the Bible allegorically? My answer is no. Uh, The word here actually probably has a better understanding of typologically, but it's not that Paul is reading it typologically or that he is interpreting it allegorically. That's how it was written, right? The way that Moses is writing um, Genesis is to set this contrast between uh, Sarah and Hagar, the son of promise that's going to come in Isaac, and the son of the flesh that's going to come in Ishmael. And so Moses is writing to set this contrast and to teach us something about the way that God is going to bring salvation to his people. Right? And so I think that's what's going on when he says here, this may be interpreted or uh, this is written allegorically. These women are two covenants. Right? So there's mm-hmm. that the answer to your question. Yeah. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. So now he's quoting from Isaiah, picking up... Um, uh, what Isaiah says about the barren woman who will have more children than the one with children, right? It goes on, break forth, cry aloud, you are, who are not in labor for the children of the desolate one. So it's a reference back to Sarai, um, will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also now, what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And Paul's making lots of movements there. But to answer your quick question, I mean, yes, there is a covenant that is going on there, but it's not the eternally saving covenant that is going to be found with the people of Israel. And actually, even those covenants with Israel, as Paul is showing us here, are not eternally saving. Right. Right? Those covenants are preparatory. They're preparing the way for the new covenant in Christ. Interestingly now, he associates Hagar with Jerusalem in the flesh. Mm. Right, And he's saying now there is a greater Jerusalem that has come where Jesus Christ is dwelling in heaven with God. And those who are part of that new covenant are the children of promise. They're the ones who are experiencing the blessing promised to Abraham, now fulfilled in Jesus. 
in verse 12, we see that the angel of the Lord is still speaking to Sarai. Um, it reads like this. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So he, he's speaking of Hagar's son to come, Ishmael. So the question is, does this verse have any application to what we see today in the Middle East, particularly as it relates to the promised son, Isaac, who was born to Abram and Sarai, or um, at that time, Abra Abraham and Sarah. Mm -hmm. um, God had already renamed them. So is there any, when we look at the, the conflict in the Middle East and we, and we know of, um, well, we look at this verse right here, we're saying that uh, Ishmael should be like a wild donkey man, his head against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he mm -hmm. shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. Yeah. What, are we, what are we looking at here? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe more applicably, I mean, when you think about uh, the three great Western religions, mm -hmm. right, you have uh, Judaism, you have Islam, you have Christianity. And those are the, the three, and they all trace their roots back to Abraham, right? And in this case, you know, Judaism, Christianity traced the blessing from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, to the people of Israel, to the son of Israel, Jesus Christ, right? At least that's the way of Christianity. Right. Right. Um, but uh, Islam is going to trace it from Ishmael. Right. right? Yeah. And, and the sons of Ishmael then are the ones who are going to lead to another religion that, you know, sees great value in Abraham and all the rest, but there is a conflict that yeah. is there. So I, I do think that this has application today. However, we should also see that, okay, like we saw before with the curse of God on Ham and then Canaan, right? There continues to be in Genesis, if we just stay there before moving directly to our, our time today, there is a conflict that we see in the book of Genesis, right? We saw that when it first said that the seed of the woman will have their foot bruised, but in bruising their foot, it will also bruise the head of the seed of the serpent, mm -hmm. right? And immediately, Cain and Abel... Uh, there's a conflict between them, right? right? Uh, and again, what we read in, in Galatians 4, there is a conflict between Isaac and Ishmael, right? The older is going to persecute the younger. And throughout the book of Genesis, the seed of the woman is going to continue to be oppressed and persecuted all the way down until we come to Egypt. And then in Egypt, you have again someone, uh, seed of the woman, excuse me, the seed of the serpent, who is going to come and persecute and enslave the people of Israel there. In fact, even uh, the, the Pharaoh has the serpent on his forehead, right? right yeah. in, in those images. So there's something that is taking place all the way through the Bible related to this conflict that is there. And so we see it again today, right? That the people of God in Christ are the seed of the woman. And that makes sense because in Galatians 3, it says that the offspring of Abraham is one in Jesus Christ. And all those who are in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, those who are in him, are now the offspring of Abraham, according to the faith. Now, all those who are in Christ, according to the faith, the world hates them. Right, the world yeah. hates us, right? So there is a conflict that is there between the world and the people of God and will continue until Christ comes again and establishes his uh, throne on the earth, visible for all to see. So I do think... Uh, that it has application for the Middle East, mm -hmm. but it also has application for our living rooms. Yeah. Right? And the conflict that comes in our families and the conflict that comes in our homes and every place else, uh, this is not just located to a geographic place. This is the condition of the world. Mm. Um, and so, again, 
reading Genesis carefully means we have to understand the conflict that is there in the storyline, then move towards Christ, then move towards us. Wow. In Genesis 19, two angels come to visit with Lot. Um, Verse 9 starts, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread and they ate. When the text says that Lot made um, them, the angels, a feast and they ate bread, this made me think back to Genesis 6-2, where the sons of man saw that the women were attractive and they took them as their wives and bore children. Is it possible that if heavenly angels could eat like humans, could they bear children like humans? Or is it that the angels we read about in Genesis 19 are not the same as the sons of God? Yeah, so if someone takes the reading of Genesis 6 as the sons of God as angelic beings who leave their heavenly abode and come to earth and cohabitate with women and have offspring, then there is something corporeal about them. They have bodies of some kind. They're able to take that on. Um, You know, you have to, I mean, I would think you'd have to be consistent with that line of argument. The alternative uh, is to say, no, angels don't do that, but they appear in this way, Mm -hmm. right? And they appear to be able to do these things. I honestly don't quite understand the the metaphysics of what is going on there, right? Because when angels come to earth, and there are multiple times it's taking place, it seems as though they do take on human form, Mm -hmm. even though they're also called angels, right? right? So I think about Hebrews 13, which says uh, in verse 1 and 2, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That idea of hospitality is certainly food and drink. I mean, it's taking them into your home and caring for them. And it says that you have entertained angels unaware. Likely that's a reference back to um, Genesis 18. Uh, and Abraham receiving angels into his presence. I mean, Mm. same thing happens with uh, the parents of Samson in the book of Judges. It seems as though something like that's possible. But what I would have to say is that angelic beings, if if, uh, they take on human form to be able to receive that hospitality, do not remain in that way, right? They do not have a body uh, like humanity does uh, that is going to last for eternity. It's a good answer. Genesis 19, verse 4 through 8 reads, But before they lay down, speaking of the angels, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him. And they said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you. And do to them as you please. One only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. So they're really, I really have two questions here. Um, the first is only two. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> the first is when um, the men say, and let me see where we got here in verse eight. No, I'm sorry. When the men say in verse five, um, so that we may know them. What what do they mean? Yeah, so whenever we come to a word uh, and we say, what does that word mean? Um, We might be inclined to say, okay, let's go to the dictionary. Let's Mm -hmm. look it up, right? Right. Um, And that may help a little bit. 
we'd be better if we were to read, okay, what does the, a Hebrew dictionary say? What's, what's the word under the word, right? What's the Hebrew word here for know? And the word is yada, means to know. Um, so let's go to the dictionary. And maybe that dictionary will be helpful to point us to different ways that, that word is used. But ultimately, the way that we define words has to be the way that they are used, mm-hmm. right? So how is this word used in Genesis, right? So before going to any other place, do we find this word being used earlier in Genesis? And we do, right? In fact, uh, maybe the most helpful is Genesis 4.1, where it says, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Mm. Okay, so knowledge there is something more than just intellectual knowledge. Right. We see this confirmed again in chapter 4, verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Again, this knowledge is a sexual knowledge, mm-hmm. right? It is a knowledge that comes between a husband and a wife that bears uh, children. Now, when we come to Genesis 19, verse 5, and it says that we may know them, um, it's more than just the knowledge of them. So there's some who want to say, look, you know, these guys could be strangers, they could be spies, they could be coming into our town and wanting to do bad things, so we want to interrogate them and question them. Uh, and yet, um, it doesn't seem as though that is going to take the place. I mean, some want to argue, say, well, by offering up the, the women here, uh, well, they'll give an explanation of these things. Mm-hmm. That's just not how the word is used uh, earlier in the book of Genesis, right? And, and so it seems as though that they are desiring to have sexual relations uh, with these angelic beings that are, that are coming there. Later, uh, we see in a book, um, Ezekiel 16 is going to compare the people of Israel to Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and it's going to bring a pronouncement of judgment uh, on Sodom for their lack of hospitality, right? Uh, And some will say, see, that's the problem. They just weren't being hospitable here, right? Um, Okay, uh, but it doesn't deny the fact that still the language here of knowledge being traced back into Genesis 4 has something to do with sexual relations and homosexual sexual relations, right? As the men of the city are seeking to come to these men as well. Um, so, uh, again, I think that's probably the best way to answer that question. So, one question or another question I have is, what was Lot thinking when he offered up his daughters? Um, Lot was thinking the way that perhaps uh, many at that time thought, right? I mean, just um, protecting himself, uh, making use, exploiting them. I mean, it's interesting what Lot's daughters are going to do to him (laughs) when they go out of the city. Uh, Again, not waiting on God, not trusting in God, taking matters into their own hands. They get their father drunk, one daughter one night, one daughter the next. And Mm -hmm. by means of that, they both become pregnant. Right. um, And they then become the the patriarchs, actually the matriarchs of uh, Ammon and Moab, who are two uh, clans that continue to to fight with the people of Israel for generation after generation. Mm. Right? So, I mean, obviously the way that they're thinking about these things is, is inappropriate. Um, so that may be, I mean, he may just be, I mean, he's already living in this city. He is found at the city gates, right? I mean, Lot is there, so he seems to have a place there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, certainly we know that it's a wicked city. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it may be that he's just doing what he would 
do to protect himself the way that some people exploit others. Yeah, I it's, always thought that was a strange passage when I read it. It's I, a strange, it's unimaginable. <laughs> What's even more strange to me, though, is the fact that um, Lot can be called righteous. Yeah. Uh, in Second Peter. Yeah. Right. Peter describes the fact that God knows how to rescue the righteous. Right. Yeah. And you look at Lot and say, I don't see his righteousness. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and all you can figure is that perhaps that righteousness like our righteousness, is not something attributable to our good works, but something that is attributed to what God has clothed us with. Mm. It's striking that um, in Genesis 18 that Abraham is interceding before God when he discovers, when God reveals to him that he's going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. What does Abraham do? He intercedes again and again and again for 50 righteous and then 40 and then 30 and then 10. And God promises that he will spare the city if there are 10 righteous there. Mm. There are not 10 righteous there. (laughs) So in answer to Abraham's prayer, he takes Lot and his family out of the city. Um, And so he answers his prayer, right? In fact, later on it says that God remembered what Abraham had said and therefore rescued Lot. So the righteous one by his status in Genesis 15 intercedes on behalf of Lot. Lot is rescued for that purpose. Uh, So this is helpful for one thing, to think through the way that all the blessings that we see taking place from Genesis 22 or 12 through 22 are coming from association with Abraham, Mm. right? The salvation of Lot is because Abraham intercedes. The blessing that Abraham has been promised passes on to Lot, not because Lot is good, but because God is good, Mm. and through Abraham he blesses him. And I think there's just a lot of hope for us. Uh, Whatever we've done in our past, the ways that we perhaps have exploited other people, uh, there's still a promise of blessing and righteousness for those who come under um, the work of Christ. You find it interesting that uh, Lot didn't seem to want to leave. I mean, do, do we want to leave our sin? Mm, that right? is a very good point. Right? I mean, when, when it, not just to allegorize the text there, right? But there are times when God has to forcibly remove us from a situation in order to save us. Right. Right? And so in this instance, it certainly seems as though God's kindness is seen in his severity Mm. in moving him out of the city. And what happens with his wife? His wife goes back and oftentimes we kind of think of it cartoonish, Mm -hmm. right? Like she turns around, looks for a quick second, and boom, she becomes a pillar of salt. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have to read the text that way. If she looks back and goes back to the city and she's under the judgment of God as well, it makes sense that that city now is a testimony Mm. uh, to God's judgment. She's a part of that. Wow. Now that we're about halfway through Genesis, what should our takeaway be at this point? Yeah, so um, this week as we're approaching Genesis 25, 26, right there in the middle, I think just two things to kind of keep us, uh, remind us of. One is that in Genesis 25, we see these two places again in verse 12 and 19, where it talks about these are the generations of Ishmael in verse 12, and then these are the generations of Isaac. So that's how the whole book is structured again, these generation statements. right? So we saw the first one beginning in Genesis eleven twenty-six, 26, 
and it comes to an end in chapter 25 and verse 11. So we come to the end of Abraham's kind of uh, narrative there. Then we have just a really miniature uh, generation of Ishmael, just kind of laying out the family that come from him. And then from Genesis 25, verse 19, all the way to chapter 36, I think, uh, we're going to see the story of Isaac and Jacob. Right? And so again, the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters are a universal history, how God made the world, how it fell, how God is going to preserve the world, and then out of that preserved world, he's going to bring one man. That man is Abraham. Genesis 12 to 50, we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph as the four main figures that are there. And if we can keep that in mind, it helps us to kind of just keep a big picture of what's being said in the book of Genesis. And the, and the, uh, the thread that runs through all of it is that God is bringing a seed of the woman who come and crush the head of the seed of the serpent, right? And this is why it's so important to see the promise of offspring through the book of Genesis. And the promises that are given to Abraham are going to be passed on down to Isaac mm. and then to Jacob. So just one, for instance, in Genesis 26, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now there's a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went from Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I will tell you. Sojourn in this land, I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. Right. So this promise of blessing from Abraham is now passed on to Isaac. He's going to have a land, he's going to have a people, he's going to have the presence of God. Verse 4, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. I will give to you your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so all these things that were promised to Abraham are going to be passed on to Isaac. Why? Verse 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments and my statutes and my laws. Right. So this covenant with Abraham is now passed on down to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. And this reminds us the difference of the covenant of the Old Testament with the new. Old Testament is passed on down from one physical generation to the next to the next. Circumcision is physical. Mm. But now the new covenant, it's not passed on down from physical regeneration, but rather spiritual. Right, those who are born again. And Christ is the one who shares his blessing with us as he gives us new life. So sometimes, hopefully, that's father, son, son, grandson all the way. Sometimes not. Ultimately, that's why the new covenant is better and greater uh, than the old. All right, well, that concludes our discussion of the Old Testament. Um, as you do your daily readings, if you come up with questions that you would like to Ask David, please send them to via Emmaus at obc.org. You may hear your responses in our upcoming episodes. Via Emmaus is a podcast of Occoquan Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our prayer is that you would read the Bible and read the Bible better. For more resources related to this episode and the gospel-centered ministry of God's Word, visit obc.org.